All right, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Did I hear wonderful? Oh, nice. Good. I love that enthusiasm. That's great. So glad y'all are here. So glad we get to be together. Uh, Like Matt said, this is our last sermon in Colossians for a bit uh, because we're going to take a break for um, uh, Advent and then we pick back up. New Year's Eve, uh, Sunday morning, we'll pick back up and then, and then finish it off in January. And so, um, but before we dive into our message, I need to introduce you to somebody. So Keith, come on up. Um, we, uh, as a church, we have elders and we have deacons. And uh, the difference between those two is that uh, elders oversee the church. And so their main role of service is leadership. And so they provide leadership to the church, particularly in doctrine, direction, uh, discipline, issues of discernment. That's what an elder does. Well, we also have deacons. And deacons' main role of service through the church is service. And so they are a lead servant. And so what a deacon does is, is... when elders and staff kind of get together and there's a lot of stuff that we do that's on our plates, deacons come alongside and help do some of that stuff that's on our plates so that we can focus on other things. And so Keith, uh, this is Keith Pack. Everybody say hi, Keith. Yep, this is Keith. Uh, He is going to be a deacon. He's a deacon candidate right now. And and he is going to be a deacon of congregational care. Uh, particularly helping in the areas of benevolence. And then as other issues uh, arise with members who are not in a group or in an area of service, uh, he may be dispatched to kind of help and see what's going on and do some congregational care there. The process of becoming a deacon is very similar to that of an elder in the fact that, number one, it takes a really long time here. Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't uh, um, lay hands on too quickly. We don't, we don't move people into this role of leadership uh, too quickly. Uh, but it also requires participation from the congregation. Keith has gone through the whole process, and the very last part of the process is uh, his reputation with the church. And with the city. So, so this is why he's up here, right? Part of this is we ask you as the church, have you seen in him this quality of service? Uh, is, is there anything that you know about him that we don't that would disqualify him from this role of service? And if so, uh, let me know or let Jared know. He's the chairman of the elders, and you can let one of us know, and then we will take that information and, and handle it accordingly. All right? So with that, let me pray for, for Keith as we go into this, and then we'll dive into the message. Jesus, thank you for Keith. Thank you um, for him and his family as, as he steps into this role, we know that this isn't uh, just one man stepping into a role of leadership, but it really does impact the entire family. And so we pray for your clarity. We pray for your discernment. Um, We believe that he is the perfect fit as a deacon of congregational care. But you know everything. And if there's any reason uh, why he shouldn't be in this role, please let us know in this final step of discernment. Um, Jesus, we love you, and we want to bring you glory in this. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, My name is Fred, by the way. I don't know if I said that. I get to be the lead pastor here. If I haven't met you uh, yet, I would love to meet you on the way out. And and we are going to be in Colossians today, uh, but don't go there yet because we're going to start someplace else, right? 
Now, before we talk about what we're going to talk about today, let me tell you what I have been, been praying for. Because today we're going to talk about one of the most intimate relationships a human can experience with another human, and that is marriage. Right? And we're going to talk about uh, what the Bible talks about when it comes to marriage, at least just a little bit of what the Bible talks about when it comes to marriage. And here's what I hope happens. I hope that we can all leave here today and see how, how Jesus, the one who holds all things together, how his relationship with us can change how we think, how we believe, and how we act in our relationships, particularly in marriage. And that how we think, how we believe, and how we act will be more like him when we're done today than it was when we started. Now, I'm not going to do a, a show of hands or anything because I don't want to single anybody out, no pun intended. But I, I would imagine a lot of people, um, really, that was no pun intended. That just came right now. That just happened, y'all. That just happened. That wasn't premeditated or anything. But um, uh, uh, where was I? Oh, married, married. Um, I know a lot of people in this room right now are married, right? And, and, and because of that, it's easy for us who are married to think that today's passage will, will hit everyone the same way. I want you to know I don't work with that assumption. I don't work with the assumption that when you open your Bible and you talk about marriage, everybody comes at it from the same, from the same place. Because here's what I know. I know this message won't hit everybody the same way because there's some of us who are married and we are enjoying marriage. Right? And so this message will be encouraging. It'll be challenging. But I also know that there are some people who are here today that are married but quite honestly wish that they weren't. Quite honestly, they fantasize about a different spouse than the one they have, or they fantasize about life with no spouse at all. And today's message is going to hit differently. I know there are some of us who want to be married and aren't. There are some of us who miss being married because we were. And so I want you to know that today's message might be difficult for you. And I see you, I know you, and I want to acknowledge that. And I also want you to know I have been specifically praying for you, some of you by name, leading into this message, for you to experience the nearness of God's love as we talk about this, the kindness of God, and for you to see what Paul sees for us concerning marriage. Now, like I said, today we're going to be in Colossians. But before we turn there, what I want to do is show us what framework Paul was working from when he wrote this. I want to show us what the Old Testament says about marriage before we jump into two whole verses today from Colossians. That more ink has been spilled on these two verses than a whole lot of verses in the Bible. But I think it's important that we understand where Paul was coming from. And so with that, I want you to turn all the way to the beginning of your Bible, to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going to start today. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Right? And, and, and here's why we're starting there. 
Because I really do want us to, to, to develop the same foundation that Paul had, or at least as close to it as we can as we talk about, about marriage. And so, so Genesis 1.26, I'm going to read through 1.26 through 27. It says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right, and I want to start here because um, uh, what Paul is working from is this idea that God created man and women in the image of of God, right? Like, like it's, it's easy for us to look at, at passage like this and it says when he created man, but in the original language it kind of means humanity. Sometimes it means man, right? But sometimes it means humans. And so what Paul understood is that when he looked at humanity, when Paul looked at humanity, both male and female were created with something very powerful and very in, 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 in the same thing in them together, and that is that they were created with the image of God. And what this means, all right, how many of you have been to like a European city and there's this statue of some dude there that you have no idea who it is, right? Right in the city square, right? Let me tell you who that dude is. That dude is a person who either founded that city or who at one point ruled over the area of that city. Because in Roman times, what you would see is you would walk into a city and there would be a statue of the Caesar there. There would be a statue of the leader there. So that when you walked into that city, even though there may be a mayor or a governor or a prefect or something like that that's that you would see on a day-to-day basis over that city, that statue was there to remind you that Rome ruled that city. And whatever Rome said, whatever the Caesar said, that's what applied in that city. And when the scripture talks about being made in the image of God, it means that both men and women were designed to be these little statues everywhere we went, pointing to the fact that there is a God who rules over the universe. The term for that is viceroy, that we are here to point to God, right? That the image of God in humanity means that we are these little statues pointing to the God who rules over all things. And as image bearers, it says that we have a work to do, that we were created to have dominion together. We were created, man and women were created to rule together. Right? Now turn to Genesis chapter 2. Let's fast forward just a little bit. What happens in Genesis chapter 2 is it's kind of an up close and personal look at how God did what he did in, in Genesis chapter 1. And so in Genesis 2, look at verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So, so you have Genesis chapter 1 that, hey, men and women creating God's image. Genesis chapter 2 is God saying, okay, now let me tell you, how, let me tell you what I did when I created them, right? And so right here, God looks at his creation. And he's created all this stuff. And every time he creates something, he looks at it and he goes, oh, that's good. Oh, that's really, look at those birds, look at the air, look at, oh, that's really good. Then he gets to man by himself, and y'all get this, it's the only time in all of creation he goes, hmm, that's not good. That's not good for a man to be alone, right? 
right? That's not, that's not good for Adam to be himself. That's not good for, for man to, to rule a, a, alone, right? And then it says, it says this. Let's see, man, uh, it's not good that man, I will make a helper fit for him, okay? So Genesis 18, I will make a helper fit for him. This word helper, depending on your translation, it could say helpmate, it could say all kinds of things. Um, English really has not done a great word of translating, a great work of translating this. Because this word helper in, in Hebrew is this word. It's the word ezer, E-Z-E-R, right? And that Hebrew word, most often is used to describe God himself coming to the rescue of someone. It is often used to describe this military enforcement, reinforcement that was sent into battle to rescue the people of God. And so this helper that's fit for Adam means that they go together. It means that this helper isn't someone Right? Who is this, this quiet, necessarily? Who is this, this silent? Who is this passive person in Adam and Eve's relationship? This word Ezra means that God was sending someone who was going to change Adam's world and who was, because they're made in God's image, going to rule with him in creation, that they were going to work together to represent God the creator to the rest of his creation. Adam, God did not send Adam more of himself. He sent someone different because together they are better. Now, jump ahead to verse 21. It says this, and so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with his flesh. Now, what God did is he took everything else God, God created. This was a, a unique, that he took a rib from Adam's side. Now, notice, and he, and he took that rib and, and used it to make Eve. Now, notice he did not, he did not take a piece of, of, of Adam's head and make Eve, right? Adam wasn't designed to rule over her right? They were to rule over the earth together. He didn't take a piece of Adam's foot because she's not to rule over him. Took it from his side because they are to go together through life, right? But as we know, something happened. Like, doesn't that sound great, right? Well, something happened in Genesis, Genesis 3, sin entered the world. And Adam and Eve were given this job to rule and have dominion together, to represent God together. And it was this blessed union, and it was this blessed relationship where apparently they would walk with God every morning and throughout the day, and God would show up, and they would have these, these great times of, of fellowship together. But, but in Genesis 3, sin eat, entered the garden, and, and Eve ate, and Adam was silent, and they both sinned, and it twisted and distorted this relationship between them and God to the point that when God showed up for his walk with them, they hid because they realized they were naked. And they hid because for the first time in all of creation, shame had entered the garden. 
because sin had entered the garden. And they did not know how to respond to God. And they were lost in this garden that God had created. So what God does is he, he shows up and he, he tries to fix things. He does fix things. And, and in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God speaks of a future time where this work of the serpent, where this work of sin will be crushed. And, 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 and he speaks of this time where he will send a Messiah, where he will send a Savior. And that Savior will crush the head of Satan. But Satan will bruise his heel as he does it. And what, what he is saying is that there will be a time where Jesus will come and he will take this mangled mess of sin that enters every relationship, a sin that separates people from the God who created them and loved them. And I don't mean like, like separate from, from, from like distance-wise. I mean like we don't know how to relate to God without Jesus. Right? And he will send one who will fix what, what Satan twisted and destroyed. He will turn humanity back to the relationship that God intended before sin entered the garden. Like, have you ever heard the phrase, you know, the original sin? Right? I've also heard that equated to, well, that's our state, right? I mean, in Adam we sinned all. Well, yes, but that's not our original state. Humanity's original state was one of blessing, not curse. Because Adam and Eve were in the garden for a while before sin entered in. And what Jesus does is he returns us back to that original state of blessing instead of cursing. And then the way God showed how that was going to happen. Remember, remember what Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with? Leaves. Now, this is fall. And in Asheville, what happens to pretty green leaves when they're taken off the tree, right? They get pretty dry and crumbly really quick, don't they? Well, what God did, remember all of creation he said was good except Adam and Eve. What God did is he took animals that he created and sacrificed them. And God made Adam and Eve clothes out of animal fur. Because what they tried to present was something temporary to cover their shame. What God gave them was a sacrifice that truly covered their shame and was a picture of what would happen with Jesus. That for the relationship to be restored back to this original state of blessing, sacrifice would have to happen. Before that, that picture of Genesis 3.15 became real, this Jesus, this Messiah would be sacrificed. And even in, in similar to leaves compared to animal fur, the, 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 the relationship that Israel had with God that was based on, on these rules they followed and these things they did and these, and these facts that they did and then these feasts that they did right like like their relationship was done through those things in faith and they were temporary they were designed to be leaves that would dry up and wither away one day and then God would bring this permanent this permanent and powerful solution to sin called Jesus and when he died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead he gave humanity a path back into original blessing. 
It's why Jesus would stand up and say, no one comes to the Father except through me. Everything else else is dried fig leaves. He didn't say that part. I added that part in. Right? But Jesus would say, I am the way and the truth and the life. Because through him and his sacrifice was the way that we could live with God and live with each other in this original state of blessing. Right? And every time Adam and Eve looked at their clothes, they saw a God who loves them enough to sacrifice what he loves for their benefit. And so our readers of Colossians, Paul, as the author of Colossians, moved by the Holy Spirit, understood that men and women were created in the image of God to represent God together to to humans around them, to point to their creator, that that is their work. Their work is to represent God. And then sin entered that garden, and sin created this distortion. And so their relationships are all misplaced and mismangled. But the work of Jesus is that we can live in that blessing. And the more they get to know Jesus, the more those relationships get straightened back out, the more... We get to live in blessing and not cursing. And that in Jesus, their relationship can be mended, right? That Jesus is our forever solution. And in them, these relationships can be made whole and be blessed and not cursed. And so with that, turn to Colossians. Because look at what Paul says, right? Colossians Chapter 3, verse 18 through 19. Paul says this. You all ready? Because he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting the Lord. Now, if you didn't read ahead, you're like, Oh, that's why Fred's taking so long to get there. Right? Because... (laughs) Y'all, I'm serious, like, like there's, there's something about this verse that makes people twinge and makes people like not want to know and not want to be here. I am no fool. I guarantee you there are people who didn't come to church today because they don't like this verse. And I get it because we as, hum- as humans have mangled the snot out of this thing, Right? We have completely destroyed what Paul had intended because remember, Paul's coming from a mindset of man and women are both created in the image of God to represent God together to the world around them. That one is not better than the other. One does not have more value than the other. They both have value and they both are to represent God to the world around them. And what Paul's doing as he is saying, if you have said yes to Jesus, and you have said yes to living his ways, and you are married, the question is, how does marriage in his time, how does marriage in our time look more like the original state of blessing than the twisted, than, than, the, than the Satan slash twisted way of, of cursed? In other words, the question he's going to ask, is it possible for Jesus to change your life and still have a marriage relationship like the world around you as if Jesus didn't exist? Now, and, and, and like I said, what I'm going to do is, is we just read the verse that I'm talking to the ladies first. So here's the rules, right? 
both of you, men and women, you can elbow and you can throw glares all you want today because your time's coming, right? And so men, if you want to elbow your wife, if you're married, like go for it. But you know what? You're next. So be ready, right? So I would suggest, just a suggestion, we don't elbow, right? We don't stare. We don't glare. We listen, right? And we understand that as we go through this, we are talking about progression, not perfection. As we go through this, our goal isn't perfection. Our goal is to grow together to be more like Jesus, step by step, day by day, year by year. And so this verse, verse 18, is, this is the ground rule. Men, do not quote this verse to your wife because it doesn't go well. Right? Paul did not write this for men to control their spouse. Right? It won't work because control is not what Paul had in mind when he wrote this. What Paul had in mind was men and women working together to represent God, to represent Jesus to a world who needs him. Right? And, and this word, submit, it's, it's, it's not about control because here's what submission is. Submit means to place yourself under the authority of. Right? Submit means to place yourself under the authority of, uh, 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 under someone else, right? Now, after Christmas, on New Year's Eve, we're going to continue on in Colossians, and it's going to talk about children. It's going to say, children, obey your parents. Submit and obey are not the same word, right? They are two different words. Submit means to put yourself under Children are to obey their parents. They are to do what their parents say because their parents say it. Now, those of you who have children, how well does that work? Right? That is not the word. The word is not obey. The word is submit. That a woman is to submit, to place herself under the authority of someone else. And wives are encouraged to place themselves under the authority of their husband. Right? Obey means to do what you are told. But remember that word, ezer. Right? Ladies, you are an army sent to complete the mission of God for you and your husband together. And that mission is to represent Jesus to the world around you. Man is not to operate and women cooperate. According to Genesis, man and women are to operate together because they are better together. And what Paul says is he says, now y'all, I'm going to tell you something. This was radical. Paul would be labeled a liberal for saying what he said right here because he said, wives, submit to your husband. Now, here's why this was liberal. Here's why this was radical. Because in Paul's day, women had to submit to every man. If a man walked in the room, the woman submitted to them. And Paul is taking women and elevating them and saying, no, no, no. You submit to your husband. Now, he gives some qualifiers to that. 
which we'll get to in just a minute. But, 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 but it is this radically liberal idea that Paul, that, that, that Paul is writing about here, that women are to submit to one man, the man that she has placed herself under his authority. And so submission is this gift to be given. It is not obedience to be demanded. And then Paul says, as is fitting the Lord. And so, ladies, there's two important aspects here. One of them that we must understand when we place ourselves, I'm saying it like I'm a woman. When you place yourself under the authority of a man, right, your ultimate authority is Jesus. That's what Paul's meaning when he's saying, as is fitting the Lord. That this man that you've placed your authority, that you've placed your, your, yourself under his authority Your authority is Jesus, just like his is. Because biblical relations bring Jesus glory. And even though you can place yourself under the authority of your husband, you are forever under the authority of Jesus. Which means, right, if the man that you submit to, the man you place yourself under his authority, if he is asking you to sin, you say no. You do not submit to a man who is going to ask you to sin because your ultimate authority is Jesus. Right? If your choice is to submit to your husband or submit to Jesus, then you submit to Jesus. Can you imagine how powerful this was in ancient times? That a woman could tell her husband, I can't do that and you shouldn't either. Y'all, that was radical. Whatever label you use for liberal, that was it. But Paul's saying any other way doesn't line up with the way God created us together. Her authority is Jesus. And with these, so with that, like I've got a few questions for the ladies to consider. As you think about your marriage, as you determine where Jesus is changing you, where he needs to change you to be more like him. And before I get to these questions, here's what I want to, like, I'm going to put the counselor hat on for just a minute, all right? And I'm going to tell you, I'm talking to ladies. Men, I'll get to you. But the questions that I have assume that you're not in an abusive relationship. That you're not in a physically abusive relationship, that you're not in an emotionally abusive relationship, that you're not in a verbally abusive relationship, that you're not in a spiritually abusive relationship. Because if you are, these questions won't really apply to you. If this is you, I need you to ignore the questions that I'm about to pose. And instead, I need you to start praying about what boundaries you need to set in your relationship with the help of a very good and wise and godly counselor, right? Before you take any steps. Because your work after this message is drawing some boundaries. Because God did not create you to be abused. He created you to flourish and to flourish in marriage. And I'm gonna tell you Abusive men don't like boundaries. And I'm sorry. Because it is going to be really hard before it gets better. 
which is why you need a good, godly, wise counselor to walk through this with you. This is not something that you go alone. And so for those of us who are in non-abusive relationships, here are some questions. For y'all, I'm sweating up here. How are y'all doing? (laughs) Why did I wear a sweater today? My goodness. All right. Okay. Here are some questions to consider. One, how do you speak to your husband in the privacy of your home? Does that mirror the fact that Jesus is your authority? Right? Do your words show that you have placed yourself under his authority and ultimately under Jesus' authority? Or are you trying to control and manipulate him? Right? Do you shout? Do you criticize? Do you, do you demean him? Or is there kindness, compassion, and empathy? How about this? How do you speak of your husband, of your spouse in public? Proverbs 31.11 says, her heart, the, the heart of her husband trusts in her. Is he afraid of what you're telling your friends about him? Because maybe it's not exactly true. Maybe it's embellished a little bit. How do you operate together? If there's an agreed task, do you go against him? You know, and by agreed task, I mean those tasks where you think, I know the right way to do this, and he's doing it a different way, and I'm going to let him do it his way so that he can see that I'm right. Like, has that happened to y'all? Right? Like, if there's that agreed task, do you work with him or do you work against him? Because, I mean, you are right. We know that. But we got to get it out of our system and try it, right? Because maybe this is the time that we're right, right? Probably not. But maybe. (laughs) But maybe. But do you work against him? Do you work against each other? Do you try to make your own way? All right. So let's move on to the guys. 3 verse 19 says this. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You know what's interesting? As hard as it is for women to hear the word submit and to live that out practically in their life, it is equally as hard for men to hear this verse and live that out in their lives. It is equally hard for men to hear love your wife. Because men are like, what does that even mean? Well, Paul says, he uses the word agape, right? Right? He uses this word agape, and this word agape means that we take the love that we have received from God and we give that out to other people. And so Paul is saying that's the word, that's the love. The love you have received from God is the love you give to your spouse. The kindness, the compassion, the mercy, the forgiveness, all the things that we see in Jesus, give that to your spouse. Because there's other Greek words. He could have used the word phileo, which means, which means the love of friends. Like, hey, y'all just be best friends and it'll work out. Now, friendship is super critical in a marriage relationship, but that's not what he used. To the chagrin of most men, he also didn't use the word eris, which means passion. And it is like this sexual drive for each other. And he didn't use that word because sex is important in marriage, but it's not the ultimate in marriage. 
You see, man, we are responsible to show the love and leadership of Jesus in our home. Which is why abuse doesn't make any sense. Because Jesus didn't. Right? In another letter in Ephesians, Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. That Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death. And he, he sacrificed himself for the sake of the church. And he, because of that, he gives life, not death. And husbands, we are to point our family, we are to point our spouse to Jesus as we learn how to follow him. That we are to be the humble servant leader. That Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he humbled himself. That is our model. That we are to use humility and love to lead our homes, which is why being harsh with our words and with our actions doesn't match up. You see, men are harsh when we try to become Jesus instead of point to Jesus. Listen, man, we get, we get harsh when we try and control our wives, when we try and control those in, his, in our homes, when we think we know better than she does instead of understanding her. And so, guys, now this is where it's going to get painful for you. I asked the women three questions, and so now I've got three questions for you to see where Jesus is and needs to change you in your marriage. And so here, here it is. Like, what is, what, what is your time like with your wife? When you get time together, what is that like? Is there quality time? Do you listen well to your wife? Do you talk well to your wife? Is your wife a priority? You know, Stacy and I, we have kids in our 20s now. And, I mean, I remember when they were little and we would try to do couch time. Do you know what couch time is? It's when you come home and you try and sit down and there's like a candle lit and you try to catch up on your day and reconnect and all that stuff. Yeah, that never worked for us with kids. Because for some reason, when they smelled a candle, they thought that meant cause chaos. Right? Like, like, it just never worked. And so, so we, we, we got through that season. And if you're in that season, just try your best, really, and just keep going. It gets better, right? Because now our kids are in their 20s. When they, when they got older, we moved from the couch and we moved to deck time so we could close the door. Right? That was really helpful. We would close the door, be outside. Sometimes they didn't know where we were. And that was okay for them not to know where we were. Like, we could still hear them but they didn't know where we were. And so we would sit out there and catch up on our day. Now that our kids are older, you know, we, we still do it. And it's a whole lot easier now, y'all. I'm just telling you. You with littles, just keep going, right? Those of us with older kids, it does get easier, doesn't it? It gets different, but it sure does get easier, right? Do you, do you, do you take time with your wife? And remember, this is pro progress, not perfection. Do you know your wife? Right? Do you know what her personality type is? Do you, do you know what her dreams and ambitions are? Do y'all talk about these things? Is there, is there in, 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 do you encourage the way God created her? Or do you wish he had made somebody else? Right? Is there encouragement and blessing or is there shame in the way God created her? Do you help her step into her calling from God to fully experience her spiritual gifts? Like, can your wife say, 
I could not be the person I am today unless I married this man. Final question. What do your friends know about your wife? Right? Is she your ball and chain or your better half to them? Right? Because that shows love and kindness. So, these two very small verses have a big impact, don't they? And what Paul is doing is he is begging us to trust Jesus in our marriages, to trust Jesus in our relationships, and to walk with him together. Remember Genesis. God covered their sin with animal skins. He made a sacrifice for his creation. And he did this for you too. And he sacrificed his son so that you could have a good and right an intimate relationship with the God who loved you and the God who created you. And in turn, you can have a good and right and intimate person with the person that you're married to, a personal relationship with the person you're married to. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, we know we have all sinned and we have all messed up. And so if that's you and you're looking at your relationship and it does not measure up, then you can start now and truly seek forgiveness. Which means you confess your wrongdoing and you see it as the sin that God sees it as. And you repent, which means turn away and you and your wife and you and your husband come together to make a different plan of what you want your marriage to look like. And that is what you work towards. That is what you fight to defend. Right? You ask forgiveness and you start new habits. Now, someone once said, we preach in miles, but we change in inches. Right? Progress, not perfection. If y'all can come back next week, having acknowledged your own sin and the relationship you're in, and having thrown that out there in a kind, loving, compassionate way, and there is forgiveness and there is repentance, y'all, that is a fantastic first step. And I think we would all have better relationships if I'm sorry was as common as I love you. Let's pray. Jesus, whew, you are good. And um, you have a vision for marriage and you have a plan for marriage where it is um, men and women working together to represent you to the world around us. I pray, God, that you would help us do that. Help us be better in this. In Christ's name I pray, amen.